0: Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Well, welcome to the church at Woodbine. It is a joy seeing all of you here this morning. Those online, welcome. Those in the balcony, we are so glad that you're here. Before we dive into this text, and James, thank you so much for reading. I've heard you read enough. I'm starting to pick up, recognize a couple words uh, in Chinese, but don't. Please don't ask me to speak in Chinese because I can't do that. But that's awesome. Before we dive into this text and as we read it, you might be thinking, how are we going to preach a sermon on just three or four verses? And half the verses are nothing but a bunch of names that I can hardly pronounce. How are we going to do that? Well, this little passage here I love. But before we get into that, I have a couple of announcements just to make about our series on the book of Acts. The first one is on the two black tables, which are back in the back. You guys can turn around and look on both. Of them, we have these books or journals. It is the book of Acts and it's the Bible. It is a gift for you. We passed them out last week. You will see if you open it up. It's got scripture on one side and then open open journal text on the other. Use it. Take it home. Use it for your uh, devotional time with Jesus. Bring it back every Sunday. You can write down the, the verses, thoughts that you have as we preach, as we sing, as we worship. This is for you. Our home groups will be going over this as well as we talk about the sermon each week. So please take one. Don't forget it. The cover is almost black. They can kind of camouflage back on those tables. Good. James is taking one now. So please take one. It's for you. The second thing, and we've just seen, again, Danielle, she's in South Africa. She thought she'd go for a year. It's been how, how long? 15. That's usually how God works. I went to Mexico for a year. It turned into almost 20. One of the great ways to step our toes into missions is to come to Woodbine, right? No, I'm just halfway teasing. It's to go on a mission journey. Also, on the black tables are these booklets of all the mission journeys that we, part of Brentwood Baptist, will be going on this year from all the different campuses. Dates can be subject to change, but if you're sensing a stirring in your heart to go on a short term mission trip, we call mission journeys for a week, two weeks, go. You can talk to Amanda about it. You can talk to me about it. We would love, I would love for everyone to be able to go. I know it's not possible. But at the same time, we strongly encourage you. So as you go, if you haven't gotten a journal, take it. If you're really interested in these short term mission trips, take one of these flyers. There's also, well, this is the booklet. There's also flyers that just have, you know, the FAQs. Just what are some of the questions about a mission journey? I would love to see you guys go on a mission journey this year. It's worth it and it's part of fulfilling the Great Commission of going to all nations. All righty. Acts chapter 1. If you've closed your Bibles or turned off your smartphone, please turn it back on, open it back up right here. Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. A little bit of context. Last week, we looked at the first eight verses of this chapter. For those who don't know, Jesus has gone to heaven. Acts is a book that Luke, a medical doctor, wrote. It's volume 2. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, which was the life of Jesus, And he wrote it to a man named Theophilus. He then wrote the book of Acts, which is volume two. And right at the very beginning of chapter one, he talks about this. This is my second work. And the book of Acts can also be titled the book of the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And in this book here, Acts, it's all about the early church. And just like the gospels, it's a brief summary. It's not everything that's in the book. But it's what Holy Spirit has anointed Luke to write. The first half of Acts really focuses on the 11, especially the Apostle Peter. The second half of the book of Acts focuses on the Apostle Paul and how God began to reach the Gentiles. And if you're wondering who is a Gentile, it's anyone who's not Jewish are the Gentiles because God is the God. He's his table is open to everyone and his arms are open to everyone. And yes, he worked through Abraham and the people of Israel in the old Testament, but he always had the nations in mind from the very beginning. God loves the nations and he came, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, which is everyone until he finds us. And so Jesus tells the apostles, he says, go back to Jerusalem and wait. We just sang a song, waiting here for you. It is one of my best, most favorite songs, and that's terrible English. And I say it on purpose to get your attention. One of the huge lessons that I learned in Mexico with Pentecostals is they really know how to wait on the Lord. I know I talk a lot about Mexico and I love Mexico, but I'm a big old American and I can get real impatient really quick. If I don't have the answer now or yesterday and I've waited for two minutes, come on. Fast food is what I grew up on in every way. We are a microwave culture. Our United States, our North American culture, the West is a microwave culture. And what I mean by that is we want things instantly now. And if we wait for a day or two days or maybe a week, I mean, whoo, we've put in the work. We've waited. Have we? The perseverance and the steadfastness. And it gets really hard when it seems like God is not answering or when it seems like he's slow. Jesus sometimes seemed like he arrived late, but it was always on time. He rose Lazarus from the dead. He didn't go right away when he was told. Waiting for the Lord. So Jesus told these apostles wait in Jerusalem till you receive the promise of the Father. Wait in Jerusalem until you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive power by the Holy Spirit. Then, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, all of Judea, all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this little passage right here, and let's stand back up. We're going to read it again. This is one of the few times that God's people actually obey. So much of scripture, it's, we see a lot of the people disobey. Very few times do they actually obey, and this is one of the few times that they actually do, and this should encourage us. And as Bill, Bill, thanks so much for your word. As Bill said, it's like about 120 people. It's the 11 apostles, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jesus' brothers, and then, you know, about 100 more folk. And the women who followed Jesus, the most faithful of the disciples were the women. This is God's word for God's people. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120. All right, you all may be seated. A couple years ago, Christy and the kids and I, we went back to Mexico for a visit. And we went back to our hometown, Fresnillo. Say it, Fresno. Fresnillo fres yo like a yo-yo. It's real easy to remember, fres yo And it was an awesome trip. We stayed with some of our best friends, a bunch of kids that were friends with Eric and Sam and Margie. They had a new little baby girl who is the patrona, who is the boss of the family. She was like three and she was in charge. She still is in charge as I heard it today. And we had a great time. We went back to our little neighborhood, and we went to our neighbors. And there were lots of laughs and lots of tears as we got to see all of our neighbors. Lots of hugs. All the little kids were teenagers, and the teenagers were now adults. And it was amazing. Some of the older folk had fewer teeth, but bigger smiles and lots stronger hugs. It was in a very emotional time, and it was wonderful. And the people that bought our house were not there. And I was really bummed. Christy was pretty relieved because I really wanted to go into the house. And Christy did. And they had done a lot of remodeling and stuff. But as I stood there outside the house, I remember standing there kind of looking at it. It was repainted. We had never painted the house. It was just concrete. The house was painted. There was an addition on the second floor. And I remember standing there and, you know, with all of our friends and stuff and neighbors. And I and I just had the thought, you're not at home. This is not your home. And I wasn't having one of those, oh, my home is in heaven. It was just one of those, this isn't your home anymore. And it really helped close the door emotionally that, you know, you are done with Mexico. Your home is in Nashville. And we moved we've moved four times here in Nashville since, since we've been back. Christy and the kids moved six times their first year back. So that's about 10 times that Christine and the kids have moved here in Nashville. But for those of you who have moved, have you ever gone back to your old neighborhood, to your own house, and had that same feeling? Yeah, that's my house. That was my house. But it's not my home anymore. And that's how I felt. It was really kind of icky. But why wasn't it? Well, because we were no longer living there, we no longer inhabited that house. It wasn't ours. We didn't have the title or the deed to it. New paint job, new addition on the roof. It just was no longer home. Right here, when Jesus, he told the disciples, go back and wait for Holy Spirit. Now, right here in verse 12, and there's three things here that I really want to hi- highlight. But today, before we go into the three, today is united in prayer. That's the theme for this sermon today, United in Prayer. And one of the goals, we have goals, and it's for all eight campuses of Brentwood. Our number one goal is prayer. Our number one goal as a church is prayer. And we want to make prayer foundational in everything that we do. And here's here's our goal right here. And everything that we do is evidence through initiatives and seasons of focus and other campus-specific strategies. Lent. Is coming up here in a couple weeks. Lent is an incredible time of focused prayer and fasting. There are little booklets on the back of these black tables, and there's a lot of free stuff. Take it. Stop by the black tables today. A tiny little booklet. It's entitled Seven Steps to Successful Fasting and Prayer by Bill Bright. This is for you. It'll take you 10 minutes to read through it. And this talks about how to fast. How many of you have heard a sermon on fasting? A lot of us have. How often? One? Two sermons on fasting? Three sermons on fasting? How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of us have fasted? How many of us practice the spiritual habit, some people call it discipline, of fasting every week, every month? I mean, y'all can tell I fast, right? Fasting is hard. And as we approach Lent, we will talk more about Lent. It's a season of denying ourselves the basics for life: food. And there's numerous ways to fast. And denying ourselves that, but then pressing into the Lord, waiting on Him, worshiping Him, praising Him. Dedicated time of Bible study and prayer, individually and corporately. So as our goal as a church, dedicated seasons and times of prayers to treat strategic prayer. And there's numerous reasons why we would fast, but it's not to get something from the Lord. It's to grow in our intimacy with our Heavenly Father and in worship of Him. So we'll talk about it more, but I want to encourage you, take this with the Acts journal book. Today, prayer united in prayer. These disciples here, these apostles, these women, the mother and brother of Jesus, they actually go back to Jerusalem. They're in the upper room. Now, the upper room, just to remind you, this is where Jesus washed their feet. It's where he instituted the Lord's Supper It's where he told them that one of them would betray him to death. It's where they all vowed and began to promise that even if all fell away, Peter said, I won't. It's where they all asked, am I the one who's going to betray you? Which should hint us in that they all might have thought about it if they all asked him, am I the one? This is where Jesus taught them to love one another the way he has loved them. This is where they truly worshipped and celebrated the last time before Jesus' death. And he told them that he was starting a new covenant with them and that he would see them again. This is where they gathered in fear just a few weeks before this chapter right here, in fear that the Jews would grab them and kill them as well. And then all of a sudden Jesus appears and he says, peace be with you. This is that room where they are. This is their foxhole. This is their home away from home, wherever they live up in Galilee. This is where they've been gathering. At first, they were hiding out of fear. But then afterwards, they were spending numerous times with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, because he spent 40 days with them, teaching them, proving to them that he was alive. Teaching them all about the kingdom. They still were confused. We saw it last week when they asked them, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? And He says, that time is not for you to know, but my father has a time and place for that. But you, you wait in Jerusalem. So they go back. And today we'll look at three things very quickly. The three things we're going to focus on today is obedience. And I've kind of already talked about it. They actually obeyed. They heard Jesus' command to wait in Jerusalem until they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And they did it. They obeyed him. The second one is constant prayer, which we'll see in the second. And the third one is unity. So they went back and they waited. And how long did they, did they know how long it would be? Now, from the time that, they, that Jesus ascended to the time when Holy Spirit fell upon them, and we'll look at it next week, was 10 days. Did they know it was going to be 10 days? I doubt it. Was it going to be just six hours, a day, a week, two weeks? But we see, and I want to stress this to all of us, through the power and presence of God himself in their lives, they were able to walk in humble obedience. And they actually did what Jesus said. They waited. There'll be numerous times in our lives when we pray and we plead to God and he doesn't answer or respond the way that we hope or dream. And it can get very complicated, it can get very challenging, it can be very hard, and we ask and we cry out, God, where are you? Did these apostles, did they ever think this, those 10 days until Holy Spirit came? Did they understand what Holy Spirit was going to be, do, and look like when he did come? Were they expecting a knock on the door? They open the door and there's Holy Spirit. Jesus did say that someone like me, another counselor, someone like me, but different will come. Were they expecting a physical person like Jesus or did they understand it more as they looked at the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophets like Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah and Jeremiah, where they would see how the Holy Spirit would fall upon those prophets. Did they understand then? That's what it's going to be like for us. They definitely saw Holy Spirit anoint Jesus for ministry. So they had an idea and they were obedient. The second thing is this, constant prayer. Constant prayer. Now, I know all of us, we know we need to pray. And I'll be honest with you, prayer is hard. And we know the verses. We know 1 Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing. Ephesians says, pray always. Ephesians 5.20 also says, pray and give thanks for everything. Well, there's a lot of things in my life that happened where I don't want to give thanks. Because it was painful or sinful or gross or hard or challenging. Yet that's what we're commanded to do. To pray without ceasing. And I'm like, for real God? How am I to pray without ceasing? I got too much on my brain. I can't think about that. I have a dear friend, and he would visit us from time to time in Mexico. And he encouraged me one day. He goes, Doug, when we talk about praying without ceasing, remember that every breath you take, you're proclaiming God's name, Yahweh. And that has had a powerful impact on me. Yahweh is God's name. He is. He always has been. He always will be. And ever since Father, we called him Father Tom. Ever since Tom told me that, every not every time, but several times throughout the day, especially when I'm exercising, oh, oh, Yahweh, oh, Yahweh. It just, yes, he is the giver of life. And when I look at this passage, okay, constant prayer, that can be really hard, Lord. I know I'm supposed to pray. I want to pray, but what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. And I want to encourage, I'm speaking to myself and you. I really want to encourage all of us to dedicate time every day with the Lord. For some of us, that abundant prayer dedicated to the Lord might just be five minutes. For others of us, it can be 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. We see the life of Jesus, and he was constantly retreating, getting away from the people to spend time alone with his Father. And Jesus, who is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, if he needed to spend incredible amounts of time with his Father in prayer every day, how much more us? And I don't say that to throw guilt on us. But I say that as to exhort us all and also to encourage us and to remind us, a lot of us are really busy. And I think of the moms of little kids. I watched my wife when our kids were littles, pure diapers, how Christy struggled just trying to put one foot in front of the other just to live and manage with littles running around, let alone trying to spend time with Jesus. And she had to learn new rhythms during that season of her life. There are seasons of our life where prayer and time with the Lord can be extremely difficult. But if we're really honest, whatever is important to us, we will find a way to be and do. The average American spends over three hours in front of their screens for personal time. Or if it's a tablet, a phone, their computer. Over three hours a day is what the average North American spends for personal reasons on their devices. And we say we don't have time. So I want to encourage you, evaluate how you use your time. Evaluate what is controlling your time. And I want all of us, individually and then even corporately, I want to encourage all of you, we do have weekly rhythms of prayer here at this church. Every Sunday morning at 10.30 in the morning, right here, several of us will gather to pray for our Sunday morning service. I invite you to come and join us. If you get here at 10.32 and we're all standing in a circle with our eyes closed, you're like, oh, I don't want to interrupt. Come and interrupt. You're not interrupting. Monday morning in the chapel from 7 to 8 a.m., there's about four or five of us who gather every Monday morning to pray for our missionaries for our ministry partners, for our congregation, right here in the chapel. The chapel is the building right behind us. I know for a lot of us with work and kids, that might not be feasible. But if you want to join us, join us Monday mornings from 7 to 8. We just pray. That's all we do. Read scripture and pray. But I want to encourage all of us, and you've seen the numbers on our flag, on our posters from time to time. 365-1511. If we read the Bible 365 days out of the year, every day, for 15 minutes a day, we'll read the whole Bible in one year. What does the one one stand for? The one is read one chapter. Write down one verse. And then ask yourself, why does this verse speak to me? God longs to speak to you through his written word. So that we encounter the living word who is Jesus himself. Start with the book of Acts. You've got journal space and everything. 15 minutes a day. Read and then write down one verse. And then write one paragraph why that verse speaks to you. Let Holy Spirit minister to you. The third thing is unity. This little young church was incredible unity. Unity. Remember, they could have easily fought against each other. You denied him, and you promised Peter that you wouldn't deny him. In fact, you said, and we heard you, you swore to Jesus that you would go to the cross and die with him, and you betrayed him. How could we be so foolish to let Judas did what he did? There was so much room for incredible division within this church. It says here that Mary was there along with Jesus' brothers. Did you know that Jesus' brothers, he had at least four of them? They did not believe who he was until after the resurrection. They despised and loathed Jesus. And it says in 1 Corinthians that Jesus appeared to James, one of the older of the brothers. He appeared to him after he had risen from the dead. And at some point in time from the resurrection to this day right here, the brothers of Jesus are there with the disciples. Awkward. Maybe there's Mary. There's the women who were faithful to the very bitter end of Jesus' death. And yet here we see them in an incredible unity and in prayer, obedience to Jesus, waiting on him. So with these three things, obedience, constant prayer, and unity, very quickly, I want to drill down and two verses found in John chapter 14, verse 21, and John 14, 23. There's a pastor, his name is A.W. Tozer. He was a pastor a hundred years ago or so. He had written several books, numerous things. And he had a quote, he says, God doesn't have favorites, but he he does have intimates. I'll say that again. God doesn't have favorites, but he has intimates. John chapter 14, verse 21 and 23. This is in those three chapters that I shared with you last week. This is Jesus teaching in the upper room the night that he's going to be betrayed. Chapter 14, 15, and 16. And right here, Jesus is talking to them. In verse 21, Jesus says, the one who has my commands and keeps them it's one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Let's look at that again real quickly. Jesus is telling them, the one who has my commands. So if you've got a Bible, hold it up or your smartphone, you have the commands of Jesus right here. You have them. And Jesus says, if you have my commands and keep them, obey them. Now, I'm not talking about perfection, but in Scripture, it talks about what do we do when we sin? We confess our sins to the Lord. We confess our sins one to another. So that is obedience. I'm not talking about perfection here, okay? But Jesus talks about if you have his commands and you obey them, what does Jesus say? He says, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And then Jesus says, I also will love him and reveal myself to him. Remember A.W. Tozer's quote, God doesn't have favorites, but he has intimates. Now, Jesus is talking a lot about love here, that the Father will love this person. And Jesus says, I too will love them, and I will reveal myself to him. Is that a different kind of love than the John 3.16 love? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Is that love different than this love here? Absolutely not. It's the same kind of love. God is love. His agape, perfect love. But what Jesus is talking about here is intimacy with the Father. It's not only experiencing that love, but it's encountering the Father, it's encountering Holy Spirit, it's encountering Jesus in a personal relationship. And the pathway, the doorway for that intimacy is obedience. Like these apostles and early Christians, as they obeyed Jesus and waited on the Holy Spirit, they received the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus talks, he talks about it right here. He who has my commands and obeys them, my father will love him. Well, the father already loves that disciple. But Jesus is talking about a deep personal relationship. And Jesus reveals himself more and more, more intimately, more closely. You jump down, or in verse 22, it won't be on the screen, but Judas said, not a scarlet, but the other Judas said, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? That's verse 22. But then in verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. That's the proof of our love for Jesus. We'll obey him. Again, I'm not talking about perfection. And that first step of obedience is surrendering our life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And repentance. But then it's a daily walk. And Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him. And make our home with him. Make our home. I opened and started with the story of going back to our house in Mexico. If you noticed, I didn't say home. I said house. We were no longer living in it. When we walk in humble obedience to the Lord Jesus, in unity with one another and in prayer, when we have Jesus' commands and we keep them, the Father will love us in a very personal, intimate way. Jesus will love us. He will reveal himself to us. And the Father, Son, and Son, through the person and presence and power of the Holy Spirit's the trinity, they will make their home inside of us. May the Father, and I want to invite the Holy the, the Holy. The Holy Worship Team. I want to invite the worship team to come forward, please. You are holy. The Holy Spirit has made you holy. May the Father stir in our hearts such passion and hunger and thirst for Jesus and his word that we would truly understand and experience the Father's love for us, the intimacy And as Jesus reveals himself to us, may we know and experience that the Father and Son, together with the Holy Spirit, is making their home with us. Let us stand. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for this incredible day. Father, we thank you so much that you love us with a love that is so eternal and amazing and awesome. And Jesus, you made it very clear. Humble, loving obedience. We have your commands. May we keep your commands. Father, you don't have favorites, but boy, you have intimates. And may we be intimately in love with you to love and worship you with all that we are. That would be in constant prayer and unity in the Holy Spirit, walking in humble, loving obedience to you, Jesus. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen and amen.